0: Your Chamber presents, Your Chamber, and the Alberta Chambers of Commerce, are working together to help you look local. Whether you're a consumer looking for local products, or a local vendor wanting to offer your products to the world, the answer is chambermarket.ca. Your Chamber's Look Local program is something beyond just a shop local push. It's communities coming together to support the businesses that, in turn, support the community. We are encouraging a movement to create a bigger impact for the good of our entire region. Spending, discovering, employing, and growing local means changing the way we live and work to create a bigger impact with our dollars. Find out more about the Look Local program at yourchamber.ca. And now we're excited you could join us for a look at the economy with Angus Watt. Managing Director, Individual Investor Services at National Bank Financial. Mr. Watt spoke at our virtual February 4th luncheon in Watasquin and provided some key insights into Alberta's economic outlook for 2022. He was introduced by your Chamber President, Brett Powsland.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, We are very happy to welcome today's featured speaker for our sixth year in a row. Uh, Angus Watt is a true leader in the financial community with over 30 years of experience. In 2021, he was listed in Canada's Top Wealth Advisors in the Globe and Mail's Report on Business. As the founder, mentor, and visionary of the Angus Watt Advisory Group, he combines the study of political science, years of experience in wealth management, and a keen eye for for big picture thinking. Every morning, thousands of Albertans invite Angus into their homes and vehicles for his daily broadcasts on Global TV Edmonton and 630 Chet. For years, Albertans have come to trust and respect his voice as the source of information on the economy. Throughout his entire career, Angus has been committed not only to his clients, but to the committed community. A born leader with a passion for knowledge sharing, Angus's goal with every position he takes on is to strengthen the organization and improve the path for incoming leaders. Included in his current and past commitments to the community are The CN Edmonton Community Board, Alberta Critical Incident Advisory Council, uh, the Cross Cancer Institute, Alberta Order of, uh, of Excellence, University of Alberta Senate, University of Alberta Senate Student Mental Health Endowment, United Way of Northern Alberta, the Support Network, Edmonton Police Foundation, just to name a few. He is a past recipient of the Paul Harris Fellow awarded by the Rotary Club of Canada. In 2012, Angus received the Queen Elizabeth uh, II Diamond Jubilee Medal and the uh, Community Enrichment Award. Please welcome Senior Wealth Advisor, National Bank Financial, Angus Watt. Thank you, Angus. Thank you very much, Brett. Let's
2: see if I can do this and do this and then do that. And I think we're ready to go. And I circled with Haskwin because it's more special than ISQ, but I was just testing things out to be perfectly honest and see what happens. Jennifer, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here for the sixth time. And uh, it's always fun, it is special. And uh, what am I doing here that's not wrong? I'm trying to move the page. And I don't know, I had it working. There we go. You just have to push harder. This is for all the lawyers. Okay. Thank you very much. You've already pointed out that we're very proud, of the Angus Watt Advisor Group, uh, to be from the Gold Mail, one of the top 150 advisors out of the 12,000 plus. And uh, we recently just won the uh, Team of the Year Award at National Bank Financial. And uh, today we're going to talk about the pandemic but i'm sure we're all talked out so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that we'll talk about the economy inflation which is just where it's here and we'll talk about employment immigration how important it is real estate and the alberta advantage so let's take a look and see what's happening i will go through this these slides are available to you uh just ask jennifer or kelly and they'll make sure you get them and we'll go forward and have fun an update on the pandemic I think the important part here is yes, it's spreading, we've got it, it's coming back, different parts of the world, different parts of the country, different parts of the United States are at different aspects to it. But you know, the most recent COVID that we have, we don't have the number of deaths. And then, and the question that I was asking six months ago, when does a, a pandemic become a flu? And I think we're all hoping that it's real soon, that it becomes a, a flu. And the key here is that it, we don't have the number of deaths as we go forward one of the things we need to keep in mind though what we've gone through since uh february march april 2020 this is a pandemic this is not a recession and so when you're running into a recession we're out of work we're out of jobs and i appreciate we've got about 15 percent of the economy that's gone through hell and back in the last two years especially if you're in the the hospitality industry the tourist industry and it hasn't been easy in a lot of other places but I don't know if you can see this slide on top, from what I can see, but anyways, this is GDP and this is the amount of money. So when you take a look at the, the amount of money the governments have been spending on us and Canadians on a pro-reddit basis, it's been a pile of money. And the, what's different, when you go through a recession, you're out of many people are out of money, you, you don't have a job. And you got nobody helping you and supporting you. When we've gone through a pandemic, is it businesses, large and small and individuals, unemployed people were given money. And this has been huge in the money supply. So which is very different than a recession. And we can see this. This is kind of our disposable income and the disposable income is way up here. You take a look at it. You know what? We've got more money. If we went through a recession, you'd be thinking we'd be in this situation that's the difference between a recession and a pandemic and that's why our retail sales in north america and basically around the world and we take a look at commodities and why the demand still there and it, which would not be there if we we're going through a recession but it is there as we go through it we had uh, it circled up there 98.4 billion dollars that's just a wage subsidy that's a ton of money you think what you'd have to do if you're in a small business which is a creator of thousands and millions of jobs in canada how many dollars you have to do to create $98 billion worth of wages. And when we take a look at this, on uh, JP Morgan and global manufacturing, I pull this out because it shows you that the economy is still alive and well, and we are manufacturing, which means we're busy. And that's the good news as we go forward because we're still got jobs. And when we take a look, and uh, I'm running into a small problem that I got on top of here, this thing. I can't see all my borders, but I will just get caught up here. This is retail sales are flying. And uh, and retail sales throughout this whole pandemic period of time have been much stronger than everybody anticipated and big surprises. And it doesn't matter whether it be Amazon, doesn't matter with your Ford or GM or or whoever you might be, that retail sales continue to continue to move forward. When we take a look at the next slide here, we're talking about earnings. And we're talking about corporate earnings here in the next couple of slides is that this is er, corporate earnings. Corporations are also making money. The question is how productive they are. And the new question we have is that, yes, the sales are increasing, but we've got increased costs and Starbucks would be a great example of that. You've got supply disruptions, cost of commodities, in their case, coffees going up and uh, labor costs are going up. So but right now and we see this more often than not, corporate earnings are still a very much a positive surprise. And this next slide is on the TSX and on, on an earnings for share basis. Now, we're getting some help in the Toronto stock market from given the fact from oil and gas stocks. You know, obviously, hey, can you believe that West Texas oil to, or our Canadian Western Select is trading over $80 this morning? Remember about two years ago in March of 2020, the end of March, early part of April, we couldn't give our oil away. We're getting a negative price at that point in time. So, what a turnaround in the oil and gas industry. We can have a discussion about that later. And we've certainly underinvested in it, and we certainly haven't invested in the needed amount of capital. That's one of the reasons why we can see it going higher at this time. And uh, what do I do with this day? That should be part of our corporate earnings. So, let's move to the next one. Am I going forward? here? So Here's just the same slide. All right. Now we look at this the unprecedented wealth. one of the things we have to be very careful about when we go forward and we are definitely polarizing our political parties and our political mindset. And uh, kind of where the rich get richer, so to speak, but if you have real estate like a house and even farmland and if you have stocks you're in a win win situation, and you can see how this has occurred on the wealth effect. And, in this period of time in this pandemic, you might think, "Oh my God, when we started this, you know am I going to have any money at the end of it?" But the stock market's done well, and real estate and housing has done surprisingly well as we go forward and That's why I say if the other side of the coin is, if you don't own a house, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, and if you don't own any stocks, well you know to you, life is a grind, it's just another day. so let's take a look at inflation, and one of the things we see here is the replacement, and this is just the beginning when you take a look at the auto industry if you're trying if you're trying to sell caterpillars maybe hot tubs you know we've got to rebuild the inventory so you might be saying inflation is way up here and and that you know as soon as inflation comes back and the supply comes back and and uh, you know the trucks are delivering everything on time the shelves are empty and that's the point i'm trying to make is they, they've got to be restocked and that's what this slide's saying is so And you go drive by some of the uh, car lots so to speak and trailer lots. they don't have any new trailers they don't have any new cars and so not only uh will they get them delivered but they've then got to get that inventory that they have so you can get the color that you want when you want it which hasn't been the case the last couple of years the other thing to keep in mind is that we've gone through a period of time that the jobs we've created are the high paying jobs and i'll say I got a laptop in front of me right now. If you have a laptop and you can work from home, you've probably got a reasonably high paying job versus being a laborer or sitting in a parking lot, you know, collecting money. And one of the things in this economic recovery we've had is that we have, we've actually seen wages move higher. One of the reasons for that in the last three, four, five years, we've increased minimum wages. Yes. But you've got more people working at higher incomes. And in this province, we'll see at the end, is one of the highest incomes in Canada uh, on average over everything else. And so not only are we creating jobs, but we're creating high-paying jobs, higher paying. And unfortunately, you know, agriculture, manufacturing, trade, transportation, business services, these jobs here, what we call the low-paying jobs, the challenge we have going forward, we've got all these people, both in the states and Canada, that are not in a hurry. To go back to work. And they're looking for different jobs. And so you're going to find that in many of these areas, and obviously a lot of people are involved in agriculture, either directly or indirectly, and in, on this conference, is that there is going to be a push if you need if you wanna have people working on your facilities on your farms, is that there, there's gonna be a real push to be paying them more, which becomes difficult because everything else is going up in your life. One of the things we've been able to do how have we kept inflation at bay in the last 10, 12, 20 years. And that's when we take a look at China. When they entered the World Trade Organization in 2021, we started exporting things because we didn't have to pay tariffs and everything else. We exported them into China. They said, hey, we'll make that. None of us realized, I don't think, is that when we ended started 2020 that all our pharmaceutical drugs, like 95% of them, were being made in China. Why? It's because it was cheap there. And it wasn't until we needed to say, hey, let's order some more. And so, oh, we got to get it from China, and they're shut down. And that's when we all discovered is that the the pharmacy and the drugs, many of them are made in China, a huge portion of it. And what's interesting with the trade disruption you see up here then that the costs have started to increase. I'm just gonna suggest to you, once we get back to the normalcy of delivery and the logistics, is that we're gonna see China manufacturing a lot more in the future. That'll bring one of the pressures to bring down inflation. We can say, hey, we'd rather have it made in Canada. We'd rather have it made in the United States or somewhere else than China. But the truth of it is, when we always come to the low cost producer, time is still gonna be very competitive. And with the higher unemployment looking for growth that they need, more unemployed people in the city, I'm certain that the Chinese government would do everything in their powers to get their manufacturing up and running to make it stronger and so that they're cheaper. When we go to the next page and we take a look at the forecast of Canada, the United States on our inflation rate, we're very adamant that inflation in Canada as we entered 2023 and 2024 in canada it would be two and a half percent 2.9 percent inflation will be coming up later on the next week in the us and we're probably looking do not be surprised to see inflation year over year at 7.3 percent because that's where it's probably going to be but you know what every i get sick and tired of people blaming it on energy prices oh it's a high price of gasoline you got to do something with the high price of gasoline that we've become the energy industry in the last five, 10 years has become the industry that we love to hate. Okay. The whole world loves to hate it. And the challenge we have is that we have in the United States, when we take a look at their inflation and their inflation is a lot higher than ours. And they're at 7% already. Is that what's happening? Well, their rent's up 20%. Some places is up 27%. And that's because housing prices have moved up. And then cars, not only new cars, but youth cars are up 20%. So do you have to buy a new car? No, then you don't have to worry about the 20% inflation rate. And the question is that you think of it as well. I think of all these parking lots in Ford and General Motors that they have just waiting for parts to come and then they can deliver some of the products. So, and we know being in commodities, both in agriculture, grain prices, hog prices, cattle prices and, and lumber prices, and of course, oil and gas prices, is that commodity prices go up and they come back down again. I love the example in in the rent being charged in New York City. If you have a doorman year over year, your rent's up twenty seven percent. If you can't afford a doorman, your rent's up only seven percent. So uh, we feel that inflation's going to be peaking at the end in the first half of this year. Is it going to peak in February? Probably not. Is it, It's probably going to peak somewhere between April and May would be my guess. And uh, that's when we expect to see that uh, house prices won't be moving up and we also go through it maybe the house price a year ago let's say was a million dollars and then now it's 1.2 million dollars so it's up 20% but it doesn't mean it's going to be up 1.4 million dollars from march to march so we do see inflation easing off uh, when we take a look at the uh, inflation rate on a global basis it, it's only 4.6% when we take a look at employment of course we're always focused on employment because we know commodity prices go up, commodity prices come down, but it's very difficult for wages to come down, so when they go up, they stay up, and the only way to reduce your costs there is to, uh, to create unemployment. But the employment growth has been absolutely extraordinary through this pandemic. Again, it's not a recession. The time for us to get back to normal in Canada, as far as the number of jobs, took us 19 months. Okay, it didn't take us two years, three years, four years, five years, it only took 19 months, and in the United States, the un, the people that haven't come back to the workforce, you got about 4 million people that they're still short. 3 million of the 4 million are women. And if you take a look at the social programs that we have assistance for childcare in Canada, which they do not have in the United States, is that it becomes very expensive for people to come back, especially if they're not making a lot of money, and they got to pay daycare. And then the other million has basically been identified as two groups. One, people that have taken early retirement and thought, what would I do? Now they find out, hey, I'm happy and I can afford to do it. And the other portion of that million are people who are saying, you know what? I don't want to go. I didn't like the job I had before and I don't want to go back there. And they're looking for something else to do. So when we take a look at Canada's participation rate, and we saw this again today with the employment numbers. Our participation rate of the people that are eligible uh, were as a, as a society, we're at 65%, the US at 61%. Now, this slide specifically shows you people between the ages of 25 and 54. And you can see that we have a group of Canadians that are eligible to work. Those people are between 25 and 54 that are that can work are working and they want to work which is a little bit different than in the United States, where it's a weaker from that aspect to When we take a look at uh, the w- workforce with women, uh, women are much more present in our workforce than in the U.S. as well. And I guess our women are smarter. No, I was just joking. I can't see you laughing, but let's move on here. Um, At a marked increase in retirements, we talked about that before, we got over one and a half million people taking uh, early retirement. One of the things I can say as a wealth manager is one of the reasons why people don't retire is because they don't know what they would do. There's nothing they want to do when they retire. And and so they said, why would I retire, I might as well just keep on working, it gives me something to do. And and when they find out that they could retire and survive and they weren't out of money, And and the marketplaces increase, their their real estate, if they own real estates increase, they say, hey, I feel pretty good. So they're in no hurry to come back to work. When we move into the next part of immigration, this is the part that I think most Canadians don't understand. And we go through the Black Month celebration today. It's not, in my mind, it shouldn't be just Black Month. It should be all new Canadian month. And I take a look at it. Our target in normal times is trying to bring in, and this is a recent target, it's not a historical one, is they would like to bring in 400,000 to 500,000 new Canadians, new immigrants into Canada each year. What's interesting is the average age of the immigrants moving to Canada is about seven years younger than the average. When you say, why do they wanna come to Canada? One of the reasons is we're a safe environment. We're safe for them. Uh, Toronto's ranked as the eighth safest city in the world. When I've looked at this to see if this is true, sometimes they come through as seventh. And if you take a look at the, you just have to understand Canada is a safe place for these people to move to, especially if you, I don't want to say this incorrectly, but if you take a look at the safety of new immigrants into Canada versus the United States, I think it's fair to say they'll have a much uh, more hospitable response to people here in Canada. And it's interesting because technically in North America, we're all immigrants. And so the other thing that's really important is we're based on our needs. And that means when they come in, we're looking at people, we're looking at people that we need in our workplace, we need people in our communities. So we're looking for well-educated young people that want to work. And they're not ending up on humanitarian, which is people that you see over in Europe where they're landing up on the shores and they get to choose from. Interesting, when you take a look how important immigration is, is that 53% of the people living in Toronto are immigrants. They're not Canadians. That means every other person you're talking to might be able to speak a different language or many different languages. And the other thing that's interesting that 88, 89% of the people, this just came out from the Bank of Canada, when they move to a city, the first city, they stay in the first city. So one of the things when you take a look at Alberta wouldn't it be interesting if we had more influence and in people moving into Canada that they would want to come to Edmonton and Calgary and with and and the Duke and important. It's, it's 29% in Montreal, it's 45%. But when I come back to this number here, 53%, and you're bringing in roughly 275,000, 300,000 people a year in normal times into Toronto, a population, the greater Toronto area of around 6 million people, maybe more that's why the housing prices continue to soar in the greater Toronto area because of the new population that's coming in which we'll uh, focus on in a moment when we take a look at this slide this is important because we go through the strongest population growth and we're second to Mexico but the blue line is the is the uh, natural growth? So we're gro- or Canada's the, the most. Sorry, we're the red line, which makes more sense. The Mexicans have more natural growth, and they're well ahead of the rest of the world. And down here, this is our natural growth. This part here is our immigration. So that, so Canada, that just shows you we're one of the strongest, if not the strongest in the world at inviting people into our country, even though sometimes we feel we're very selective, but we've done that on purpose, so they're adding value to our communities. And this just shows you that they're, they're also well-educated and the foreign-born population is well-educated and those are the people we're bringing in. This line, this here is the United States. And so when you take a look at the number of people that are well-educated versus the US, it's very impressive. When we jump to this slide, this is a population de- being decomposed from the standpoint of natural, interprovincial and international uh, immigration. So the natural, the people, the babies that are being born right now, and this is for Ontario, it's really dropped. And I'm gonna put you over here. i see if maybe that helps a little bit, but th- this part here, This is the international. This is the immigration. So we talked about Toronto in this square here. See how it's increased here and real estate prices have taken off in Toronto at the same time? Well, imagine if we had, and we've had strong immigration, relatively speaking. You know, how did our province go when the price of oil went from, you know, $80 down to $40? How did our population in this this province go from 3.8 million to 4.3 million? And that's because of the immigration. But one of the things that, you should be concerned about is this little sign here. That's the natural growth rate that we have. So that would say that Ontario's got a lot of old people in it. You ever drive the Highway 400, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is interprovincial. So this means right now in this period here that Ontario's actually losing people to other provinces. And I would suggest to you, I'd like to think it's Alberta, but it could also be British Columbia and also the Atlantic provinces. When we take a look at the Atlantic provinces, again, uh, interprovincial migration, you can see that Nova Scotia, New Brunswick has it. The birth rates though are negative for Newfoundland, for Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick. These are below the line. So they're families, they've got more people dying than they have babies, effectively. When we take a look at Alberta, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of struggling. The good news is you can see here, this is our immigration. We can see in the heyday, the oil and gas industry, we did really well, people wanted to come here, our universities, the work, the job, the high paying jobs. And they're coming from all over the world to participate in it, then, then we've lost that. And our, our birth rate has been pretty good, and we were tr- getting people back into our province and but in, 2000, with, in 2021 we're starting to lose people again. And I would suggest to you that they can't afford to go to Ontario. We're not welcome in BC, so some of these people probably went to the Maritimes and i'm sure you can all think of people, yes, I know somebody who did that. When we take a look at the province of British Columbia it's interesting that they want to tax foreigners like Albertans because look at their birth rate, they don't have a birth rate as far as demographics go they get as many people dying as they have. They're they're getting a lot of people from other provinces. And their international immigration, we might be thinking people from the Pacific, the other side of the Pacific Ocean, who all want to go to BC, but this is shrinking right now. And so that's something for us to attract on a go-forward basis. So let's talk about the world population. 30% of the world population, once upon a time, lived in the cities. And in 2007, it became really important because you had as, half as many people in the country as you did in the cities. And now in 2020, the people are moving from downtown back out to the acreages and to the suburbs. And that's the theme that we have now. And we've seen this in the housing prices basically all across Canada. And when we take a look at the world's population, today 40% of the population lives in China, lives in India, and both have replacement birth rates of around 2.1%, and Brazil is at 1.8, Mexico's at 2.3, they're the bright spot, the European Union is at 1.6%. So if you've got the second largest economy and the third largest economy are both below the replacement of 2.1 birth rate, that would suggest to me, as we go forward, is that these, their growth rates, their GDP, their economies are going to slow down. They're not going to be Skyrocketing, moving higher. Then, so birth rates are dropping globally, and you may say, well, may name some spot in Africa. What about there? There could be much larger than 2.1, maybe as 3.4, but it's still coming down, which is the important part. And then, when we take a look at Europe, Portugal could lose 50% of its population by 2060, and the UN estimates that the Eastern Europe has collectively lost 6% of their population since 1990. Effectively, the Netherlands is 17 million people. We've kind of wiped out the country of the Netherlands and Eastern Europe because of uh, the way we're growing the population, which, i.e., we're not. And let's take a look at 2021. I thought I'd give you some current numbers here. These are like days old. There were 404,892 births last year in Italy. And according to their official statistics, that's down 15,000 and that's down now 12 years in a row, the birth rate has been dropping. And yet 141,100 have died from COVID-19 and the population had dropped by about 400,000 down to 59.3 million. So Italy, the country's the same size, but the population is getting smaller. And then if we take a look at the world's largest economy, the United States of America, 2021 population expanded by, well, unfortunately I've written it here, But otherwise, if we're live, I would make you guess. 0.1%. There's 0.1% more people in the United States today, at the end of 2021, than was at 2020. So how do you have a 7% inflation if you don't have any more people and they're not making a lot more money? And the answer, the comfort would be, is that real estate and the stock market. But besides that, you're going to have some challenges down the road. This is the first time since 1937. The population is, has expanded by less than 1 million people. So that means even though you're 360 million people today, your growth rate is no, is at the same size as it was back in before World War II. Declining population growth rates have been trending for years. Aging population, lower birth rates, and more than 850,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. And that's probably a very current number. It's probably 860, 861 right now. Birth control, when we take a look at it, what happened, what's happening, I will suggest to you that we have no idea of the mega impact the birth control pill had, which was introduced back in 1957 and became legal in 1960. And then we had abortion became legal. (laughs) And it is legal in many parts of the world today. Uh, Then the awareness of AIDS made everybody protect and have safer sex. And then you take a look at the influence you talk about families, rural and urban people. When you lived in the country, it was okay to have eight, nine, 10, 12 kids because little Johnny, the number nine, you just go and collect the eggs. and Number eight would go and fix the fence post and on and on they went. If you take a look in China right now, where they've had historically recent history, the one child policy, it costs them around $25,000 a year to raise a child because they, they this one child is all they're going to have and they spend a ton of money. So when you say, hey, you want to have two or three, they go, no, we can't afford it. So- and then we also have the influence of women's rights. We want more women in the workforce and social changes. And uh, one of the things we've seen is uh, daycare and uh, where we're being funded by the province. So we're encouraging people to stay home as well and raise their children. Those are all the different things we take a look at. And then we take a look at the impact of COVID. The last two years has been really tough on everybody. I There's no doubt in my mind, we have no understanding the impact of uh, mental health that we're going to have. Uh, on a long-term basis we might see it you might see it and feel it at, in the workplace you you think you might have it at home i can guarantee you that you have it at home you just the different ways of dealing with stress when you take a look at relationships you know the uncertainty and lack of tolerance and if you're not getting if you don't have a lot of tolerance with your partner it's not like that one uh extraordinary night when the power went out is that you've had two years with your partner and you have no desire to have any more kids and and the social and if people are afraid to go out and meet other people and these are all things that are going to delay marriages and if you delay marriages it's usually you're going to start families later in life and if you're going to start and get married at, at 32 34 38 40 years of age it's a lot different than when i was a kid You people are getting married at 18. i jokingly if you can see smiles here i used to think all the pretty women would be gone by the time i was 20. but i got married when i was 25 and i have a beautiful wife so i'm good for that aspect to it but the, our social format of, of dating and relationships and marriage and partnerships have changed completely over the last 30 40 years and how do you meet people you know if you don't if you can't go to work you can't go to to meet people and if we don't have Im- immigration and immigration remember we're bringing over smart young people and they were either starting families or about to start families And then you take a look at costs, a higher cost of of families or buying a house, pardon me, how can a family afford it? Bottom line is, as we go forward, our families are going to be smaller. So that takes us to real estate. And for the sake of time, I just want us to focus on Toronto. Well, we go through a number of cities here, but we're looking at household Annual income, you have to have an income of $205,000 to be able to afford the the average house in Toronto. You only have to save 330 months, 10% of your savings for 330 months. Does that sound like something you want to do? When you take a look at Vancouver, you have to have an income 267. Remember, Toronto's only 205, but you know what? You now have to save for 432 months. And we take a look at Calgary, hey, it's only 36 months. You only have to have an income of $105,000. And the average price of a home is 518. Hey, in Edmonton, 88,000, 30 months. If I tell you, if everything was normal, I'd rather live in Edmonton, certainly rather live in Alberta than anywhere else. When we take a look at Alberta, we take a look at GDP. Obviously with the oil and gas activity moving, our GDP is starting to soar. And if you've got friends in the oil and gas industry you you know that they're just starting to get busy, and these are the leading indicators from the province of Alberta of uh, what's going to happen in the future. Now we're talking about income, and we take a look at this is Alberta right here. Even today in Alberta, our average income is substantially higher than than Canada, which is one hundred one thousand and ninety seven as far as weekly earnings go. So we're doing much better than the rest of uh, the provinces and Canada on a weekly basis. So when we take a look at the Alberta advantage, what do we have? Affordable housing, transportation, unless you lived in Toronto, Vancouver, or even Montreal, you don't understand the shorter commute times, you're not being ruled. Your life isn't being ruled by a train that's leaving at a certain time you don't have to spend an hour and a half going to work in the sun and coming home for an hour and a half looking into the sun and just for transportation having said that obviously more people working from home will change that a little bit uh, you take a look we have higher earnings we have more high higher paying jobs than other provinces we have lower overall taxes we do not have a retail sales tax and i don't imagine we'll have one hopefully knock on wood with a higher price of oil for a long time and we have higher personal exemptions you know our and we've got a very young population we're second only to manitoba our average age is 37.9 and alberta's share of the population between 15 and 45 is the highest in canada we have a skilled workforce lower corporate tax rates which is something i hope we get to keep and we've got very affordable commercial and industrial real estate so We got a lot of things going for the Alberta Advantage. When we take a look at Canada as a whole and we see what's happening, we know in the travel industry and hospitality industry, the tourist industry, there's a lot of retail spending that's about to come around the corner. We know the retail spending because money has been put into Canadians' hands more than almost any other country that Canadians still have money. We know that we are looking to improve ourselves when it comes to the environment, the social, and the governance. And that can only be lot positive on a longer term basis, different speeds for different folks. Our immigration is going to be fast track, so look for more people moving into Canada and looking for them to bring more knowledge and experience. Our Canadian unemployment rate's under six percent, so we do have we've got a good balance right now, and you could argue the u s is four percent but I'd say this is they only have sixty two percent of the world of the people that could be working working we're almost at sixty six percent so I'm I'm comfortable that our unemployment is not a lot different than the US and we're coming to the end of quantitative reasoning. So we started to see short term rate increases. That's one of the challenges the good news. So Canadians will have we've got very affordable interest rates as we look at it. And one of the other concerns we'll have. Yes, we're not sure what's going to happen with the interest rates. Uh, and as far as increased taxes go and increased interest rates, that's our fear. I don't see uh, the, the federal government increasing taxes with the minority government. So I think we've got another 18 months to go, and if not a year, and hopefully it's at least that long. And um, and this province, as long as we keep it with a higher price of oil, hopefully we'll be able to keep no sales tax and we'll keep our corporate taxes, and personal taxes low, and then people will continue to move back into our province of Alberta. And I think that's something we've got to make sure the whole world understand. So I'm ready for questions.
3: Great, thank you. And I'm excited um, that we can share your slides. I guess that's okay. Hey, we'll, we'll share those in the wrap up. Is that okay? Yeah.
2: Yeah, please.
3: thank you. Um, so just with unemployment only being at, you know, under 6%, that that's huge. Do you think will, there, will, will there be a shortage in the rental market for housing? Do you foresee?
2: Oh, um, you know, our rental market is different than other parts. And I say that in Ontario and British Columbia and many other parts of Canada, the housing prices have moved up, you know, versus mortgage payments. With the commodity prices that we've had being up and down and more down and bringing in an NDP government, and then the loss of, of uh, commodity prices, the support of commodity prices, uh, we found a lot of people working here, the people that moved into our communities were very comfortable in renting because they weren't sure how long they were going to be here. And therefore, rental prices were higher. So probably, logically, what needs to happen is that our housing market needs to get caught up a little bit more with the rental markets, and then I look for them both to move up. Um, and it's interesting because you can see that the number of homes for sale is... is Shrinking the inventory. And that seems to be a common uh situation throughout North America. And uh and the housing prices of those homes that are for sale seem to be going at reason, you know, moving up incrementally in the province of Alberta. So housing prices, I think, have to firm up a little bit more before you see more rental price increase.
3: All right. And so just I'd be curious to know, is the household uh, credit card debt, is it up um, alongside the increased retail spending are you seeing? Uh, the credit card
2: debt has actually come down a lot. Um, and and I think there's there a whole bunch of different things that we don't we, when you go to measure 10, 20 years ago, that which are different because people now have their homes. And and we don't take that into account. So you got more and more people that have their homes fully paid for because they haven't upgraded because there's nowhere they wanted to move to, especially here in Alberta. In Ontario, you'd say, well, their homes have gone from a million dollars to $3 million or from $200,000 to a million dollars. And they've had this increase in in value there. But in the meantime, their credit card may have grown. Uh, What we had seen until the last couple of years is that the home equity loans surged and i think the credit card debt then dropped because people realized it became better better educated over a period of time that i'm better off to take a mortgage or second mortgage for my home equity line of credit which is much lower than my credit card so i'm not concerned with credit card debt today having said that i am surprised sometimes how much how easy it is for people to get overextended on their credit card
3: all right. Thank you. And so what are the implications of the changing wor- workforce um, being remote? Do you see that trend kind of changing back? And, and will there will there be implications?
2: The workplace of the future is really confusing at the very best. If I had my way, I would have everybody back to work <laughs> you know, on April 1st, if not March 1st. Uh, I'm told I'm out of step and out of sync and i would and we used to think as men is a concept and i'll go back to salesmen is that they they wouldn't they'd work from home on friday now those days we didn't have laptops so we'd make a, two phone calls to our buddies and say hey do you want to place an order yes or no and then we go golfing uh the work from home today is that your staff they they get up at the same time they start usually on the computer but the time they would have would leave home and they they work throughout the day and they're getting work done the challenge i have in the workplace in the word i'm going to be using i used to always talk about culture my word for the next couple of years is what is the soul of an organization like how do we feel what are we doing how do we train people and it's easy to say oh is a video and everything else so the workforce will with a laptop with more people be working from home we'll have people working from home They won't be permanent, we don't want to have everybody off on a Monday and a Friday, so we have to stagger that from that aspect to it, but we have to find some balance, and especially if we want people, men or women, in the workforce and keep some balance at home, and that's why I say we come back to the soul of an organization uh, for the next two or three years.
3: Great, so we have time for one more, so so what's it what's the one piece of advice you can offer businesses um after going through kind of this two-year pandemic it's not a recession as you mentioned but what is that one piece of advice you can offer the business community
2: you have to take a fresh look you have to pull back and you have to you you got kind of you have to look forward okay hopefully you've saved enough capital and you're in a strong enough position you have to take a look around if i was going to start my business today. And I wanted to be the most successful in the industry. What do I have to do? What would I look like today to go forward? So we have to, you have to Jennifer, take a look and create that question, and you, and you, and go forward. Because otherwise, we if we're just following the footsteps of the past, we're going to end up in mediocrity. Okay, but you've got to figure out who your competition is. How you gonna make money, what margins you need, who's gonna be your client? And there are two things we're working on right now, processing and client experience. So if you go forward and say uh, uh, you know, and the processing, efficiency, the technology, and the client experience, if you focus on those two things on a go forward basis, I'll guarantee you success.
3: We do actually, I'm going to slide one more question in. What is the bigger problem, lack of housing or lack of labor? Increased immigration will serve to increase housing uh, shortage and rising prices.
2: Um, In different parts of of Canada, labor, skilled labor, the right, and even in the States, one of the challenges you have is that you've got lots of people, there are more job openings in the United States than ever before, right? There are more job openings than people unemployed. So the question is then you need to have the right people in the right spot and and you know for us to move people in alberta to move to toronto you know you sell your six hundred thousand dollar house to buy a two million dollar home you know that job better be unique so you say you know what i'm really happy here so the mobility of skilled labor is, is 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 a problem high cost of housing is soon to be a problem one way or the other and one way is it you don't bring in labor which just increase your costs and then you erode or if rates move up even if rates don't move up you're you're artificially too high in closing though when you compare the real estate prices in toronto to some of the other peak areas in the world it's not expensive doesn't make sense but it's not expensive and if if the liberal government brings in or any government brings in higher taxes that means you got less money to pay for your mortgage
3: Right. Well, we thank you for coming out. Our the sixth annual, although you and I were talking about the partnership breakfast that used to happen out in Kelmore many years ago. So we're we're so pleased to have you out today. Um, Angus does have a newsletter, and Angus, what's the best way to get on that newsletter? I guess we could share the link in our wrap up. Our yeah, president. please.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I'll tell you what we're gonna. We have a great little segment today on on the midterm elections coming up in the states too. We usually have three areas called ten seconds. You can go to our website and also sign on there, but you can send it up to them. We'd love to have everybody join.
3: Great. Right. And, and so Angus does, he comes out every year and does this for us. And we do donate a small amount back to your charity of Little Warriors. Did you want to just yeah. do, give a quick highlight on that?
2: Well, Little Warriors is uh, a, a facility, an organization, not-for-profit, that helps young people. Uh, they've even got to Little Warriors out in the east end of the city here. And uh, the recovery has been... Uh, um supported by the university as far as the authenticity of it to make sure and they help boys and girls that have been sexually abused uh and their recovery and they've had great 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 success and they're only operating for about 25 30 percent capacity because they don't get any government funding and uh, we always think that uh somewhere out there there's someone that's going to take care of these people but there isn't strangely enough
3: well, we thank, thank you, you and we will be doing a donation uh, to that organization on your behalf. So we thank you again for coming out. Um, I wish you could hear a round of applause, but everyone's muted by default. So okay. <laughs> yeah, but we, we really um, thank you for coming out today and, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in person next year.